Welcome to the Beyond Dollars and Cents show. This is Holland Henderson and the Risk and Reward Podcast. Uh, today, my special guest is a very good friend of mine, if he will allow myself to call him a friend. Absolutely. Justin Wilson, not the, not the Cajun chef. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, first question, which is always the same question for everybody, who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Holland's good friend. Yep, yep, employee. Some would say best, some would say good. I mean, it's it it's, vacillates. It depends. That's right. Depends. Um, but I am a not Lakeland native. I came here through Florida Southern College, and my current job is VP of real estate at Palmetto Capital Group here in Lakeland. Cool. What does that mean? What's that mean? That means I manage the acquisitions for a build-to-suit development company. Here in Lakeland. That's another fancy way of saying you build stuff. That's right. That's right. So, you got it. So um, what what exactly are you are you typically looking to build? So I mean you're talking about different different places that you you're building to suit. So what does that mean? Yeah. Real estate development has a lot of different ways to um, to accomplish the end goal, which is be a landlord at the end of the day. So uh, the way we focus our business is through relationships more than it is the land. Okay. Um, a lot of developers that you see out there buy the best land they can get and build a speculative building or try to market people to come to that land and build it from there. We focus on relationships and through that relationship work to help accomplish our clients' goals. Okay. So we... Only we primarily, not only we primarily pursue land that our clients want more than pursue land that we feel like we want to buy. Okay, and well, then that's attract attract people to it. There's they're both great ways to make um, make a successful living in the industry. It's just we just take that bent to it. So typically, these are not one off purchases. You're not usually selling to a person that's buying or a company that's buying one or two. You're you're talking about multiple different. Yeah, so our, our clients mainly are. Fortune 100 clients where they have large growth goals mm-hmm. and they need us to be a part of their plan because these clients are building hundreds, if not thousands of stores a year and are over a thousand. And um, they appreciate a, a partnership with us for multiple reasons. One is just the pure labor aspect of it. If you think about trying to do that across the country, it would be a very large department of people that they'd have to hire to do that every day. The second is leveraging the finances of that. They have um, goals where they need to use their finances elsewhere. So to be able to use the the financial backing of us buying the land, building the building, and putting our finances in that portion of their business so that all they have to do is predictably pay rent is a a huge asset for these these companies. So... uh uh, the way I would guess it is that you're actually working with that company's real estate development team. Yeah. If they're a Fortune 100 company, you would imagine that they would already have an or you know some sort of organization built within that company to be able to to work that. A hundred percent. They've got great leadership that comes up with strategies and implements them in in each market. And it it just like with most companies. Um, it seems super intimidating to say I work for, for company X with company X's real estate department, but just like everywhere, they have someone in charge of the region, someone in charge of the state, 
someone in charge of the Southeast region and then someone in charge of the company's real estate grows. So um, when we say it's about relationships, there, there really is someone in the state of Florida every day um, worrying about whether or not they're going to hit their growth goals and, and implement their strategy correctly. And, and we just partner up with them so at that level. Your boots on the ground. 100%. You're the one that year. has the re- relationships with the builders, the contractors, all that stuff, correct? Absolutely. Now, are you seeing a difference in change? Because, I mean, uh, Palmetto Capital Group doesn't just work in one location of Florida, much less the in- the entire country, right? You have multiple different offices. So are you all seeing much of a change as far as prices and relationships d- differing in different regions? Region to region is different, obviously if you're paying attention to real estate, Florida's on fire right now. Yeah. There's just amazing things happening in this state, not only from within, but people moving here every day. I, I don't know. I'll watch the numbers, but I think a thousand people move to Florida every day. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of influx of people. And if you're used to going to your Starbucks every day there's going to be more people going to that starbucks i think so they then, just move to i4 like they don't go anywhere right. else like, not yeah. even like a city off of i4 just like i4 in general right. just they camp out right, right. There. that's a whole nother right the housing crisis people are just circling yeah. looking for a parking spot right and um but yeah so you see these thousand neighborhood thousand home neighborhoods popping up those people need a grocery store and a place to get coffee and gas for their car and decorations for Halloween and all that stuff. And um, every time one of those neighborhoods gets built, a retailer is looking that that is a new opportunity to serve a new customer base. How so, typically are, how far out geographically are some of these companies looking, right? You know, let's just say you said coffee. So that makes me think Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. How far out geographically are they willing to chance because they see that population shift? Yeah, I could nerd out on Please site do. criteria this and is all a, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, we'll keep it simple so I can understand <laughs> it, and John, too. I want John to be able to understand Yeah, it. I mean, if we're picking on coffee in general, it could be a Dunkin', it could be a Starbucks. Sure. I always joke that um, caffeine's an addictive su- substance. Yeah. So people will jump curbs to get their coffee in the morning. <laughs> so all this site criteria and what, what, a end, you know, what an end user or somebody that wants to sell coffee to you worry about is where you live, mm-hmm. where you're going to work, and what side of the road is are you driving to get to work. That's oh, what man. really from a 30,000-foot perspective looks like. And and you so that you can extrapolate that to KFC or Popeyes or they, they want to sell you a bucket of chicken, you're yeah. tired and you don't want to cook, and it's on the way home. And are you on the going-to-home side? And is it easy for you to get in and out and get your dinner for your family so that you don't have to cook that night? So for every client we work with they have different priorities but i mean i'm just kind of describing to you fast food's all about convenience right it's mm-hmm. a convenience play yeah. for them and it's a spontaneity like oh i need i forgot to drink my coffee or i need that second cup of coffee or i'm hungry i gotta grab lunch where's the easiest place to get that for a retailer it's different and for a tire store it's something completely different after that so it's neat to have an opportunity to work for a diverse amount of clients where you're constantly trying to solve problems and, and solve these puzzles for them where they know that they need to serve a certain customer base. And then you're basically trying to find that one p- jigsaw piece that's going to fit their needs, secure it for them 
solve all the problems. I mean, I always say you're trying to take chaos and make it organized. The, a raw piece of land is chaos, and you're trying to organize it to hold asphalt in a building so that they can sell coffee. That's what we That's do incredible. every day. Let's take a break real quick, and I want to come right back to this. All right, we're back. I, I, you said something that I really wanted to address, convenience. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's a massive thing in our lives right now. I mean, you, we, you have the whole Amazon model. You have all that stuff. But just, just convenience. I, I was sitting there thinking when you were talking about the proper side of the road, you know, I was, you know, thinking how much it takes me to have to turn onto the wrong, to the other side of the road or do a U-turn. What is the level, what is my level of commitment to get to that place? And it's pretty much like if my wife asked me to go do that and it's on my way home from work and it just so happens that I remembered to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Right? Like that's, and if I show up, then I'm just going to have to come back out again. Like that's my <laughs> motivation. Otherwise, if it's just for me or maybe even my kids, I'm like, nah, I'm right. good. Right. pass. Yeah. Yeah, and what's what's really interesting about that is they under most of our clients understand what that does to their sales, which is really cool. I mean, they they really study every store that's open to make better decisions about their future stores. And um, you know, where there's also surprises where you've got in in Lakeland, you've got coffee on both sides of the street and yeah. Um, where you'd think stereotypically one would work great on one side, they're both doing well on either side of the road. So I, I, I think compounded with convenience is what has occurred over the course of the last year and a half with COVID and, mm-hmm. and, and how it's accelerated things that have worked from that standpoint, from a convenience standpoint. Yeah. And, and both retail and restaurants from a, from a real estate perspective. Um, but also it caused people to pivot. The sit down restaurant is, is massively changed, massively changed, yeah, massively I mean, changed. I mean, I don't want to go as far as call it uh, a dinosaur cause I don't think it's that, mm-mm. but it's just a, it's, it's everything's shrinking, yeah. which you've seen because of Uber Eats and the dry, the success of a drive through. A lot of these concepts are going drive through only even where they're just abandoning the dining room in these fast food restaurants. And there's numbers on how much they're making through their drive-thrus. I mean, there's oh. there's also existing buildings that are just busting out a wall just so they can hand food through a window. 100%. I mean, and compounded with that, when you open the dining room, there's overhead that comes with that. So What's not, usually a percentage of that? The typical percentage across the industry is if you put a drive through on a restaurant concept, it adds 20% sales to your concept. Golly. But I think COVID has changed that. So, like, I mean, again, pick on Chick-fil-A down the street, right? They tore down their building and were out of business for the amount of time it took to completely rebuild it just to add a second drive-thru. That's how profitable that that change was, is they were willing to sacrifice 100% of sales. And it came right on time, too. Where they did some pop-up stuff and all that. Yeah, it was very forward-thinking. But um, that just goes to show that they're always looking at ways to increase their efficiency, their convenience, and their success. And it's so successful that Chick-fil-A at this point is looking to go drive through only on a lot of their new concepts because of the complication that the dining room brings to their experience mm-hmm. and how efficient they can be just delivering through a 
a food delivery, whether it's Uber Eats or some equivalent of that, DoorDash, depending on which concept uses what. And um, is there a step the beyond the drive-through? I mean, has COVID changed us to where there's something different other than drive through I mean, obviously we have DoorDash and Uber Eats, and you mentioned those, but and then also just curbside. I mean, and that's another thing with you know example of Chick Fil A. They have curbside and they have the drive through. Yeah, which is wild to think about. I, delivery to your home, it's hard to get more convenient than that. Yeah, you know, and, and they and, haven't worked out the metrics where those things are. You're not spending twenty seven dollars for a single burrito to get there. Yeah, right. So I mean, I think that there's it. It, it is very frontier. And they're trying to work out those kinks. I think eventually they'll get the it. The more they can integrate that process into their business model, the more successful they'll be. Because these these delivery concepts, whether it's Instacart, Uber Eats, DoorDash, whatever it is, I don't I don't even think you need to pick on one necessarily yeah. or call one out. It it's hard to level layer on that level of service on the food cost and have there be a, a value proposition for the end user because what most people expect is that same price point but delivered to your house. Yeah. You're not when you go order on a Chipotle app, you're not necessarily paying exceptionally more to have the food delivered to your house. Well, they've just figured out how to integrate that into their business model in the same way that Publix has decided Instacart is something they're committed to. Mm-hmm. So they integrated that into their business concept. You don't have to go to a third-party website or app anymore to get your groceries delivered from Publix. It's integrated into the Publix app. And that's so you can see that that's getting more and more important. And you're going to find that retail, particularly grocery, but retail concepts that are coming into the market may not even have their first introduction to us be a retail storefront. They will warehouse their goods and service their goods and their first introduction will be that delivery concept as opposed to the other way around. And it's it's a great way to do it because it's so low risk. Yeah. Right. You don't have to you don't have to commit to a long term retail location. You can understand who your clientele are and eventually integrate that in. But um, I would imagine also with a warehouse, you're not having to think about what your user is experiencing within a store, right? I mean, you could just as long as everything's that needs to be cold is cold and everything that's hot needs to be hot. And you can deliver those certainly, and and there's there's some risk in in sure. food delivery. I mean, I, I think everybody has a story of of making an Instacart order and they they weren't a hundred percent happy with the produce chosen, or they accidentally got that bag of popcorn shrimp that they didn't order, or whatever, right. you know. And um, there's well, always those funny stories where you can't. It's not it's not foul. It's not fail proof, and it, eventually you're gonna you're going to mess up. It's just how you react to it is is what is exceptional about a lot of these concepts that we all love around here. We were, like Publix is so good about responding to a mistake is yeah. what makes them special. Not that they're perfect. And I think other organizations are are definitely catching on to that. I, I mean, it's amazing how responsive Amazon is. Um, Apple, you know, you can, you can have an Apple messenger on your phone, right? For all those Apple users out there, like, hey, this didn't happen or something's wrong here, and they immediately send messages back to you as long as your phone's working. If your phone's not working, that's a different issue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that, I mean, that is a... I do have a story about failed failed food delivery, though. We were we were coming in, uh, my wife was coming in um, from like the kids' sports practice, and I was coming from work a little bit late, and we hadn't had our date night that week, and so we were trying to figure that out. And I was like, what do you, what do you want to do? And uh, she was like, "Let's just stay in." I mean, it was just kind. Of, it was just a conversation over two days. Mm-hmm. Um, but that night, it culminated that we just both got there late. And I was like, "I'll order DoorDash," 
And we were going to order sushi from down the street. And she was even passing the restaurant. I was like, no, I'll order DoorDash. Don't even stop in. Let's just get the kids in bed, whatever. And it started getting later and later. I'm like, where's this cat at? And nobody's texting me. Well, the order never went through. So we ended up mm. eating like crummy cereal for that night. It was a great, great date night. It's fantastic. And that's what's been tough with COVID with these restaurants that you really feel bad about is a sit-down restaurant doesn't necessarily translate to a DoorDash experience. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what's fascinating to me is why you've seen all these companies be so much more successful through the pandemic is the experience that that end user is getting through the DoorDash delivery is about as equivalent as eating a burrito at a Chipotle because of the speed that it gets there. It's warm. They've 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 mastered delivering something to you and having it stay good enough for you to get it home. Well, already. there's also expectations, right? I mean, you're not you typically going to get a four oh, yeah. and five star food like, hey, I want that thing put in a plastic sack and right. driven 20 minutes. Right. I mean, it doesn't. There's a lot of things. But I mean, your expectations for an eight dollar burrito are, are much lower. Yeah, much lower. I'm just trying to get food. That's all I'm trying to do. For sure. So what about retail? I'm right. I mean, so we have we have the whole Amazon experience and there's a lot of people have said retail's dead. You know, it's not coming back. That's hard for me to fathom that retail uh, there there still has to be we're humans. We have to have a tactile response and there's just times you just don't want to be in the house. And I know COVID has affected that, but there has been a re resurgence after things started opening back up for people to go experience the stores that they shop at. Yeah, and I think that's the key term is the experience that you gain in that retail store where you, in the TJ Maxx's Marshalls of the world, that it's a treasure hunt for those people to go in there. Yeah, <laughs> It would not be the same experience if you're ordering it online. If you go on Amazon, you, you know exactly what you want, and it's the convenience play. I can go buy toothpaste or I can have it delivered tomorrow and, and finish up what's in the tube, you know, and mm -hmm. versus going to TJ Maxx is that treasure hunt. Yeah, and, you're and trying to find I something. think you're going to see that those type of concepts are going to continue to be successful or the Dick Sporting Goods of the world where, you know, your son Finn's starting baseball and I don't know what bat to buy him. I don't know what size I need. There's a value to that experience of going into that retail store and having and seeking to understand what you need for for your son for that sport or daughter that you wouldn't necessarily get by just going on Amazon and buying it or or most people don't want to go through the research online and still want that personal touch. I think you'll see that continue and I think that's what will will keep retail from dying. Now the stereotypical um shopping center or shopping mall where the stuff that you can buy on Amazon is there a little bit more convenient? And um, I, th I think that's where you'll probably see the suffering occur. So, I mean, we saw a transition out of the 80s and into the 90s where that indoor mall, you know, just kind of started fading away. It was less attractive. You know, they, they started, all the good stores started getting out of it and saying, we're not, we're just not going to do this. And then it became an open mall format where mm -hmm. it becomes more like a downtown area. Yeah. Do you see, think, what's the next transition from that from a is there still going to be collection of stores outside of strip malls right where people go there and have an experience yeah i wish i could see around that corner man you'd make it's just a ton of money <laughs> that would be great to, to have but i do think there's an opportunity for a, a what i'd call a market disruptor for um for the shopping mall 
or the movie theater experience, right? Because it used to just be, here's a bulk opportunity to watch movies or here's a bulk opportunity to get what you need that mm-hmm. that most people now, when they're shopping for clothes, are more if, have a higher affinity towards a specific brand than they do going into a department store and just finding what's there on the shelf where the the I think that's a part of that's not just the the Amazon culture, but it's the Instagram and the way we're marketed to, which is much more individualized and in, into what we do. I mean, we can all have a story of how we've picked up our phone after talking about something and the Instagram ad pops up. Well, one of my favorite stores that that uh, Troy Garcia, one of our other advisors at Allen and Company and bloggers and podcasters, anyways, turned me on to, to Bonobos. And they have a store over in Tampa. Well, the cool part is if you ever shop there, you can save your sizes. But then you go into the store and the sales clerk says, hey, do you have an account with us? He pulls up your profile, knows exactly what shirts and what fit and what you like. So then he can just show you the things that he thinks or they think would be good for you. And and they don't keep a huge selection. Yeah, there. that's what's fascinating. Like the the concepts that are in that stretch of Hyde Park, which are the suit supplies and the Bonobos and the Maidwells right next door to that. I can just keep going that those are just opportunities to have a new opportunity for people to understand that brand. Yeah. But the real true experiences of their full catalog, so to speak, of of products that you can buy or close in that case is, is online. So are they thinking about their real estate as kind of a magazine or a billboard? I don't know what adjective you put on it, but I think I think it is an opportunity to build a relationship with that client more than it is to sell as much as you can out of that store. Because obviously, it's 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 not very easy to do when you when you're somebody our size and they don't necessarily have our size. Now you walk into suit supply and you're they don't have 50, 42 longs yeah. on the on the rack. But you can see something you like. You can be measured by the guy there. They can have it delivered there and tailored. So it just kind of adds to that experience that you get more than it is. You can go in there, pull off something off the rack, buy it, and then go take it to your tailor like you would in a normal department store. All right, let's take a break real quick and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. I, I did have uh, a question on the tip of my tongue, so I'm glad we took a break. Um, but... So are these places like Bonobos, like Suit Supply, like Madewell, are they picking, is it more about picking the area that they want to, want not just want to be in for the sales, but they want to look like that area? Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, I think the Hyde Park itself lends itself to that kind of, so it's a chicken or the egg, yeah. right? Does, is Hyde Park the way it is because of the demographics of the people that live around it? Yeah. Or the demographic graphics of the people that live around it because Hyde Park's there. Yeah. And and what's most important to a suit supply is who lives near it because they want to ensure that they're gonna have that customer base at their at, as an ability to sell those those products to and them. For, so it, it's not as if if so for example, if I had an infinite amount of money and I wanted to build a Hyde Park in South Lakeland. That doesn't necessarily mean suit supply would show up just because it looks like Hyde Park. Right. They want to know that there are people that meet their demographic that are going to show up and shop. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's part. So, so how do those places get started? How do you create that? Yeah. So uh, again, it's it. You you follow the people. 
retail follow what the fascinating part is is people don't follow retail retail follows people whether it's a restaurant or a shopping center or um a, a grocery store it it the people have to go first and so so how do you create a Hyde Park it, it it's a little bit of a Hyde Park is a reflection of South Tampa right so a developer came in and believed in it and and saw the opportunity right and and knew building something like that would attract would in that location with those demographics would attract those those retailers and and if you've been in Tampa long enough you've seen Hyde Park has gone through a lot of a redevelopment in our lifetime yeah which is fascinating it used to be more of a lakeside village look and feel and it it has since redeveloped into meeting the demographics now so as the people change the shopping center will change and this is happening a lot through the entire scope of the country in certain areas just having a complete regentrification right and it's that the old look is the cool look and not everybody wants you know a Hyde Park or an Austin at their doorstep right no it not and and you know it's kind of funny whenever cities start talking about hey we are we're more akin to this city here or we want to look like that city you know being in different development meetings but yeah. at the same time you're still going to have your identity tied to you yeah that's i mean that's the hard part with some of these retailers particularly the ones we work with is they're coming in trying to present their brand mm -hmm. and if you drive by a wendy's every, like their their building is a part of their brand yeah so when you come into municipalities that are really proud of their town and they want to make like they have a plan for their town and they want it to look a certain way and they want buildings to conform to that and they have architectural code it can become a real challenge for uh, some end users who want to let, you know, McDonald's, for example, integrates, tries to integrate their arches into their building and, and their building is as much of an iconic look. Because again, it's a convenience yeah. thing. If you if you took a sign off of Wendy's, nine times out of 10, you could tell what it is. If you took a sign out of off of the McDonald's, nine times out of 10, you could decide what it is. That's not necessarily true with a Publix. Sure. That's not necessarily true with a another retail, like an auto zone or something. I, those, those retail concepts are much more comfortable absorbing the look and feel, the look and feel of the town they're coming into than restaurants because of it's such a, a split decision for restaurants. And it's such so much more of an experience for that person to go in there that they want to do everything they can to hold on to their architectural prototype, so to speak. Sure. And make sure that they're fully presenting their brand in, in every way they can, where um, most retailers are more comfortable adapting to where they go, whether if it's South Tampa, it looks like one thing. Palm Beach, it's going to look like another. And up in Gainesville, it's going to look like a third thing. Yeah. So some of the things that you have to navigate are municipalities, Right, both sure. from the people standpoint, the Very people who so. live there, as well as the government, and we talk about you know where you're placed at on the road. But uh, you know, there's a there's a restaurant I like to go to. I like to stop in, and they put a median right in front of it, which made le turning left into there absolutely impossible. And it's most of the time, if I'm passing that place, I'm going to have to be turning left just because the you know where I'm going from my home from work to home for sure. And 
completely changed the navigation. And it uh, affected the sales of that concept. Absolutely. I mean, bar, bar none, if if you restrict access or visibility, it, it has a bottom line effect on the sales of out of any building. You always say, you know, there's such a thing as a cursed cursed building. Oh, yeah. You, know, you, you can you can pick out. That one place that they that just, has a turnover of restaurants that just can't seem to work. Well, that's not necessarily because they're bad restaurateurs. It could be the the site characteristics of that property, whether it's access is bad or visibility is bad or parking. there's not enough parking. So people just have a kind of a defeatist mentality like it's not worth going there because I can never find a parking spot. You don't have many opportunities to overcome those inconveniences when you're starting at a disadvantage just because the real estate is what it is. So how do you navigate that with the people and with the government? Because that restaurant was just fine. And then all of a sudden they put a median, you know, it feels like a mile long to where it it just makes it impossible if you're, if you're coming South. Sure. Um, It's most of the time when we engage with the public and what we do is when we have to go through what's called a zoning change or an entitlement approval where we have land that we have secured for our client and we can't by right do what we're doing. That is when it brings it into the public conversation. And for us, it we do public meetings and we engage with them directly and people who live in the immediate area and get their feedback and make sure we incorporate that into the project to alleviate any fears of, for example, I'm scared that there's going to be commercial lighting on this property and it's going to bleed into my house. Well, there we can do things to scale that lighting down or shield that lighting so it stays on property. Do typically the, the places that you're representing want to make sure that they are fitting the desires of the mass community to make sure they're not offensive or are they just like, well, let's just throw it in there? Obviously, it. Every concept I work with cares what the community thinks. Sure, absolutely. It would be silly to not think that because what you don't want to do is alienate your customer day one by doing something <laughs> right. they don't want. Right, that's going to run people. Doesn't seem away. like a good business model. <laughs> right, but the challenge is, is, is. It, there's not a lot of real estate left to develop in Florida. So as residential pushes out, it's, you know, you don't. You don't want to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. So the what? Do you, how do you do that? So as residential grows, how do you incorporate com- commercial resources, whether it's retail or restaurants or services that you need to be able to have that be a convenience so that people aren't on the roads? You know, you, you've got this dichotomy of the way people want to live is they want to have this work-life balance where they're not in the car all day. Yeah. Right? But... Some people do love the rural aspect of a lifestyle, but the the convenience the of convenience society. of society. So you're kind of, especially in Florida, you're always balancing that those two demands. And there's also where you see so many people in a community, but there's nothing that serves them directly around. It's just yeah. houses. And then you also see areas where there's an overabundance of stores. Um, but the municipality functions are down, so it's just very difficult to get there because they never expanded the roadways. Right. And at the end of the day, our, our, our business's philosophy on this is we don't want to fight with City Hall. We want to work with City Hall. So if we sit, we, what we like to do is we like to, if we know that we're going to need to work with them before we come up with an idea that we are so committed to us this, at some point that we need to force it to happen, 
we find it much more productive to sit down with them first and figure out how they foresee this happening in this area and, and get an agreement on that and then go through the process from there because you just you have a a a low likelihood of success when you fight city hall b you don't want to earn that reputation with the municipality that you have to go back to again and again and again you know and see it these are people right at the end of the day the people that the the employees at these municipalities are people and it's, it's they're, they're going to be the ones shopping at these places and sharing yeah, the information that, compounded with that it's the it, it's their hearts and minds yeah and you want to you want to win relationships with them and 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 have it be something that everybody's enjoying working on instead of it having to be a legal battle to get something done every single time okay let's take a break All right, we're back. So for our last segment, I kind of want to hit the the high notes, some some questions that have uh, been burning. How are we seeing concepts change or brand new concepts to compete against what is there right now? Because I'm, you know, I have thoughts in my head, and I, I I want you to answer first, and then I'll ask the rest of my questions. Yeah, in the industry, it's it's kind of been a 24 month roller coaster where the stalwarts were afraid to pay rent in in the middle of COVID. Yeah, and now there's a massive demand for real estate with a lot of new concepts that are that are a lot of people are because of the success of the economy right now are feeling very confident to invest in and make commitments to and, and grow where they've been small regional fast food restaurants or uh, retail stores and and they're looking to expand and they've got a confidence just because of the success su- their sales and the success of the economy that they're looking to compound that yeah it's just basically the next chipotles you know where it was just a very small regional thing that's now getting spit out and these these eventually will be companies that like you said are top 100 fortune companies yeah in the same way that the way i like to think about what we do is in the same way that a lot of your clients invest in these companies through buying stocks Mm -hmm. we're investing in these companies by when we say build the suit we are we are building buildings that are specialized to these concepts and then we're signing long-term leases with them so it's almost as if we're investing in this company itself if that concept doesn't work there or they go they go dark because they don't have enough sales we're stuck with a building that could be for a fill in the blank, whether it's a Wendy's or a Chipotle or a retail store or an AutoZone. I mean, you can fill in all these blanks of th- these concepts, but you can envision these newer concepts are coming up and they're wanting to have those prototypes and they're asking us effectively to invest in their business and then them pay us a long-term lease. Over time, they're asking to use our funds to grow their business and pay us back over time is, is kind of what they're doing. So it gives us pause and it's so we're as much assessing the concepts as we, we are the real estate. It's a twofold assessment in what we do. And, and those newer relationships that we're building, obviously, we've got great relationships with very stable clients that we're, we're very happy with. But and the new ones coming on. And that, I think that's one of the exciting things about my job is to watch these different companies that were very small. You never really heard of them. Then you kind of heard you know, little things, little inklings. HTO of them. down the street. Yeah, HTO. Wild concept. They sell iced tea. Yeah, and I that's it. Drove past out. Never heard of them. They're not <laughs> going to make it. Now my wife goes there and buys tea for them, and they're growing like crazy. Yeah, I mean they they have a aggressive business model and growth plan, and they believe in the concept. Their sales are reflecting that, and they want to they want to go toe to toe on the same type of real estate that these giant national concepts are going on. 
And so when you start putting these things next to each other, you can really see where it becomes as much about the business itself as it does the real estate, because you're making a commitment to one of these businesses, basically. Yeah. It's always fun to see people get excited about a new brand and, you know, especially when they're extremely thoughtful about their business. Do you see any type of tech being implemented into some of these buildings um, or people even talking about it? Like one of the things I think about is augmented reality and virtual reality. You know, will that be an experience either in movie theaters or within shopping experiences? Uh, you know, do you do you ever hear anything about that? Sky's nope. the limit on a lot of that stuff. Lead lead certified, which is an environmental certification. A lot of a lot of that's not mandated. Where it's mandated in, in municipalities, you have to incorporate that kind of technology, whether it's energy efficiency or t- certain types of materials you're using. Um, that sort of thing. But right now it's more driven by the branding of the company, mm-hmm. where if you've got a environmentally conscious company, they want to build, they want buildings built like that to reflect their brand. Right. You so, know, but then f- from a, a actual leveraging the concept, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that over time with the Amazon go mm-hmm. type experience where they've, uh, if, you can share a link with your readers or something like that, but they've got a, a convenience concept where you basically walk in, pick what you want off the shelf and, and walk, walk out. out and then charge your Amazon account. It's an incredible. Yeah. A way for Jeff Bezos to get a piece of every transaction in America is to license that to every retailer in America. Yeah. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to walk into Dick's Sporting Goods and pull a bat off shelf and walk out. Yeah, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do that in a 7-Eleven as much as an Amazon Go or a Publix as much as a Whole Foods grocery store. And whether or not that will permeate the entire retail industry is still a question. I, I don't know what he he wants to do with that technology, but he's certainly developing it to be an impact player in the way people shop and from a technological standpoint. And if we know anything, I mean, if or I should say, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's businesses can pivot pretty fast, which is really, I mean, it's incredible. I, it's pretty incredible. So in closing, uh, what are you reading or what are you listening to nowadays? Yeah. So my favorite podcast besides this one. Yeah, absolutely. To listen to. Um, is how I made this. Oh yeah, love That's that podcast. One. It just opens your mind to what's possible out there in terms of business development, and it inspires me every day. And and because I've got a very entrepreneurial job, I'm going out there and coming. I, I'm coming up with new ideas for my clients every day. So just being inspired by people who are have an idea and bring it into into fruition is it's just I love that podcast. Um, the business book that I'm reading right now is called Rocket Fuel. Okay. It's a it's kind of like a business psychology book a little bit with a bit of um, entrepreneurialism. And it's basically a help book on startup companies transitioning in their teenage years, which is very reflective of where our company is, where we have a lot of visionary um, type people in our company. But Rocket, the Rocket Fuel book... Um, really helps you understand the relationship between the visionaries in your company or in the integrators or the the people who are the doers in your company and and how you set up that relationship and so that's that's been very inspiring as well so final question where um where are you most excited or encouraged either in your work life or the world around you I love my job because it's all relationships 
I say that I we're a relationship company that happens to do real estate more than we're a real estate company that leverages our relationships. So I'm just constantly encouraged that people are still at the forefront of what I do. And, and, and the thing that you said before, that we're resilient, that watching these retailers and restaurants that I work with pivot and do great things and be successful, not just for the sake of themselves, but to provide the services that their clientele needs. Mm-hmm. is been hugely inspiring over the last year or two to watch that. Well, that's great. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, this is Holland Henderson with Allen & Company, financial advisor. Uh, go to our website at alleninvestments.com. Uh, there you'll find a bunch of great podcasts uh, and blogs uh, that you can use at your disposal. Have a great day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, registered investment advisors. Securities offered through LPL, member FINRA, SIPC.